You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at Home and Abroad and we are chatting this week with the participants and presenters that will be coming to the 25th annual British Isles Family History Society of Greater Ottawa, the Family History Conference. And that is the end of this month, September 27th to 29th, and details are at bifhsgo.ca. And uh, we heard up at the top of the hour there from Duncan Monkhouse, who is the president of the um, organisation. And one of the participants coming from the UK is Audrey Collins. And Audrey is a spokesperson for the National Archives, where she is a records specialist in family history. And we all know that at a conference like this, a records specialist in family history is more than someone that's like gold. So she has written extensively on family history and has special expertise with the UK censuses. And Audrey regularly speaks at events and conferences in the UK, Ireland and the USA. Audrey, thanks a million for coming along for a chat. I'm thrilled to be here. Now, um, a specialist in family history, like um, in the record side of it, and that is the area, of course, that all of us neophytes uh, want help with. Where do we go next when we're looking for records? Where would your speciality be or where would you define it? Well, although I'm called a record specialist, um, my job's actually better than that because we have record specialists in military and legal records. If you're a family history specialist, you get to roam around across everything because what, um, what my special skill, I, I hope, is is really bringing together records from all kinds of different subjects um, and using them together for family history and, and local history and social history. Um, so I'm very fortunate. I work in a you know, big office full of people who are experts in lots of different kinds of records. And I can go and pick their brains at will. It's wonderful. I call my job the best job in the UK civil service. I mean, family history specialists at the National Archives. I turn up every day and I do basically stuff I really enjoy doing. And they pay me. I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> now, when you say there are, are others who would have expertise in various areas, so I've already picked up on from what you've said that we are looking not just at things like census. We're looking then at mm. what would be a variety of other records, which might be land registry, newspapers, uh, wills, all that kind of stuff. Is that what we're talking about? Exactly, yes. You know, I mean, a, a friend of mine, a former colleague, um, one said that potentially any piece of paper or any document with a name on it could be a family history document. And actually, he'd go further than that because it doesn't have to be a piece of paper. It could be a gravestone or a medal uh, or an inscription somewhere. So anything um, in any format, really, that's got information uh, about people and families is, you know, that, that that's all rich pickings. Um, and what I particularly like to do is to maybe point people in the right direction. I always say there are lots of subjects I don't know very much about, but I'm really good at finding things. Um, and I'm, and I'm, one of the, the things I'm going to be talking about is using Discovery, which is our National Archives catalogue, um, which you can do all sorts of cool things with once you just get the basics of how it works. Um, but the real, real place we should start if you're looking at not just National Archives records, but 
looking for, you know, family history or military records or whatever your subject is, we have a huge, huge range of um, online research guides that have been written by specialists in all these various different areas and put together by editors so that they're comprehensible to people who, to people whose first language is English and not academic speak. Um, and they are the place to start. Um, on our website, we've got something like about 300 different guides and nearly 200 of them have got some sort of family history content. So, um, you know, nearly 200 family history guides. There must be one you'd like. Uh, so I always recommend that that's where people start and it tells you about what records we might have on a particular subject and also records that we don't have. Sometimes it's good to just know that you're in the wrong place. We don't have dot, 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 like adoption records, for example. We have nothing, but we can tell you where to go in the nicest possible way, of course. Um, and, and we have some very surprising records um, because uh, they're arranged according to which bit of government or the legal system mainly that they came from. But they can be about all kinds of different subjects. I mean, you really start delving into them. Um, it, it's quite amazing what you can find. And one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that we're the National Archives of the UK. And, of course, whether we like it or not, the UK used to include the whole of Ireland. So for anything that's over about 100 years old, we have an awful lot of records to do with Ireland. So um, your Irish ancestors just over a century ago, they were British, whether they liked it or not. And on the whole, a lot of them didn't. And, and I'm, you know, I'm quite a lot Irish. I'm, I'm entirely Scot Scottish and Irish. I've got no English uh, ancestry at all. I just sound like one of them because I've lived there a long time. Right. So, so we've got huge numbers of records on, on, uh, for Irish research. So then, Audrey, like we live in an age which things have changed radically between uh, the Internet, the World Wide Web, and digitization. Uh, so access to records from one point of the world to another has become quite achievable and manageable. How much of a lot of those older records have been digitized in the UK? Quite a lot. Um, what's what tends to be done because it's it because it's popular um, are things like obviously census records, and although we don't hold them, look, parish records uh, and lots of records to do with births, marriages, and deaths, or baptisms, marriages, and burials, and lots of wills and probate records because they're records that pretty much everybody is going to want to use those at some time. Another really big hit would be military records. Um, we have huge no amounts of records about anyone who served in the British Army, the Royal Navy, um, the, don't forget the Royal Marines, it's a smaller force but still an important one, more recently the RAF and um, the Merchant Navy, not a fighting force but very closely allied with those and we have a lot of records to do, to do with that. Um, so it, it's the ones that are, I suppose, what you would call name rich. Those are the ones that are very attractive to the commercial companies that digitize these things because we have such huge collections, we couldn't possibly afford to put them online ourselves because um, I think that would be what, you know, speculating to accumulate and that's not what the civil service does. 
um, you know, the Treasury wouldn't say, oh, yes, here's a load of money. You can build a website. And uh, yes, I'm sure the people will come. Um, so what we do is we license our records uh, and the very popular ones. Um, we have you know, lots of commercial companies who really want to digitize this stuff. And uh, they, you know, they, they pay us. So every time somebody clicks on a record on Ancestry or Find My Past or The Genealogist that comes from National Archives records, we get a royalty for that. So uh, um, it, it, we do get money that we can then put into doing slightly less um, high-profile things, things that need to be done, but they're not maybe so commercially attractive. So we do have some records on our own website, which... There's usually a charge to download them, but they're they're relatively cheap. We've even got some things that are free, uh, so uh, we we can you know we, we we can get an income from digitization that a lot of other organisations can't because of a thing called crown copyright, which is you know, the details are quite boring. But the short version is we can generate an income and we can use that to put into other parts of the service. Um, so although it's still only tip of the iceberg, really. We have got a lot of popular records that are digitized, and you know there are more coming all the time. Um, so you know, what will be online in a year's time, a couple of years' time, will be even more. And, of course, the, the big one that will be coming up, um, yeah. So, Audrey, yeah. Before uh, we know it, in the way, it's 1921 census. So. In, indeed. So, Audrey, we're spoiled, uh, I have to say, on the Irish side because we have access to so much uh, the 1901-1911 census free and a variety of other stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. And mm. uh, you mentioned that a lot of the records that uh, you guys have, uh, you've entered into a licensing arrangement with some of the commercial. If somebody were That's to turn, right. turn up at your offices or at a, a library or somewhere, is there a research capability that, oh, that you know, that, yeah, I have a month that I can go turn up every day, I'm mm. ready to research, that the doors are open somewhere where someone can do that? Oh, yes. I mean, one of the things, one of the conditions of all the licenses we have is that all of our records that are on these main commercial sites. They have to be, um, access has to be free to people who are actually in our building. And in practice, that, um, that means it's even better for researchers because it means that we have got access to um, the Ancestry UK, Ancestry Ireland, Find My Past UK and Ireland, and you know, the, the, the genealogist as well, and, and a few other sites, but th those are the main ones. So we actually get, our readers get access to all their records, even if they've come from other, other archives, because it's much easier than than the sites trying to pick, oh, you can have access to this, but you can't have that. So that, that's a big bonus for our readers. They can, they can come to our um, building at Kew and they can have access to all these records. And we're also a Family Search affiliate library, which means that they can get uh, access to a lot of digitized records on Family Search that you can get in either in the Family History Library or in Family History Centers all, all over the world. But increasingly, they're using affiliate libraries, and we, we have become one of those just within the last few months. Um, and those, um, a, lot, a lot of libraries and archives, certainly throughout the UK, and I know all over the world, they have got library editions uh, access to the main sites like Ancestry mm -hmm. and Find My Past. So our records are very, very widely available for people all over the world. 
Um, if you happen to have you know, access to a, a library near you, you, you've got free access. So uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it's pretty good. Indeed. So, Audrey, then you mentioned that you know, prior to um, 1921, certainly, um, Ireland was part of the UK, and mm. that provides a wealth of documentation. Um, but how far back, because we know on the Irish side that uh, a lot of data was lost uh, for one reason or another, and in many cases data has been lost purely because of bad management, whether it's that they, oh, were, yes. <laughs> in, they were in buildings that was damp and a variety of other things like that. Mm. So how rich a treasure trove, going back how far, do you have at your disposal? Well, I mean, it's, well, the short answer is always, well, it depends. What we do have is we have a lot of very good 19th century stuff. And a certain amount a bit earlier than that. Um, the really, the main ones are things like the military records and some Coast Guard and Customs of Excise, uh, people who were in government service in a, in a British, a Britain-wide service where you couldn't easily parcel out the Irish bit or the Scottish bit and put that in the relevant national archives. So we have a lot of those records and we have the records of the Royal Irish Constabulary um, which uh, you know, it took a long time, but we eventually got those online, and they're they're very good. Um, and there, there are there are a few other things. Um, the Find My Past have got uh, a lot of our um, Irish-related records, uh, and uh, one of the um, the people, that Brian Donovan, well, the historian there, um, he said that he didn't realise until. Uh, they had really started looking at uh, these things in detail. Um, a, lo a lot of the um, records, uh, roughly what we call the Dublin Castle records, the, the British administration in Ireland, just how closely watched the Irish population was. Um, we've got things like um, series of records from around about the about the late 1830s, early 40s, so just pre-famine, um, which are called reports of outrages. And a lot of these are, they're actually just minor petty crimes. Some of them are more serious than things like rick burning and rioting, but some of them are just punch-ups outside pubs or, uh, you know, petty theft. Uh, and just for a, for a short period, just a few years, there were weekly lists of all these various crimes arranged by uh, by county and by parish. Um, so you get people right down to a very ordinary level of society, um, just details of just these major and minor events that were going on in you know, pretty much every village up and down the country. And we have, um, I think, all the... It, it, its proper name is the Irish Reproductive Loan Fund, uh, which doesn't cover the whole of Ireland, but again, it's a mid-century set of records um, of really what were sort of very small seed corn type loans, small loans to you know people right down at the bottom end of the, the farming community to just give them a you know a little bit of a start. Um, so that's another set of records that where you've got the ordinary people, the ones they're not the great and good, and they're not the criminals. So they're not the people that you, uh, you you're likely to find in a lot of other records. Um, and these are absolutely tremendous. Uh, so, so, uh, yeah, so, so the other question... More than people realise. Yeah, the other question then, Audrey, would be, of course, that's talking about the British Isles, but let's 
kind mm. of extended the peace to the British Empire, the Commonwealth, uh, because mm. uh, people would have travelled from all over the British Isles to the various corners of the world. Do the UK records include uh, data that may have come from the, what were the colonies? Yes, but it, that is not always as good as people hope it is. Um, have our uh, good collections for passenger lists. We didn't start keeping passenger lists, either outgoing or incoming, until very late, until 1890. And of course, a lot of the stuff we want, you know, we, we'd love to look at is, is uh, before that. Um, what the we do have some records. We have some very, very early records of uh, people travelling to North America and the West Indies. It, it tends to be quite patchy. Um, so you know, the, the, most of the records that, that are going to be really useful are going to be in Canada or South Africa or, or America or, or wherever. Um, the, the records that... That, that tend to have gone back to the, to the UK is things like is the correspondence between the colonial office um, and you know, the, the, the various colonies and dependencies. And uh, but you know it's a bit of a lucky dip. Sometimes you will get something in there that, that relates to you know, has, has lots of names in it. But on the whole, um, that, that that's one of the one of the big list of disappointing answers that we sometimes have to give to people that we don't have as much as you might think we have. You know, it doesn't say doesn't mean we've got nothing, um, but you're usually going to find better records and more you know, more useful records about individuals in the country that they went to. But you'll often get some quite good clues there that can maybe get you the the link back to the you know, to the old country, but right. um, sorry we didn't keep that stuff, but it was before I started working there, so I can't do anything about it now. So. <laughs> well, Audrey, we should wrap up, because we need to leave a lot on your uh, agenda to talk about when you get here, and I know that you will have lots to talk about, but it's certainly been most entertaining and educational getting a flavour of what you do, and um, I'm sure that the audience, when they are at the sessions, will also find it most educational when you give your paper. Um, it's, again, we give the dates. It's uh, here at the end of the month, September 27th to 29th, and it's at the Ben Franklin Place at Centre Point Drive in Ottawa. The website is bifhsgo.ca. And I should wrap up by asking Audrey, if anybody is looking for the website where to find some of this information, where should we direct them? Um, you mean the National Archives website yes. for all my information? Yes. Yes. Um, I'm afraid we've got a horribly long URL. There's a www, then it's National Archives, which is all one word, um, and then it is .gov.uk. And that takes you to, the, web, to the, the landing page for the website. And there is a link on there that says help with your research. You go in there, that's where all the good stuff is. Okay. Um, and I'll be expanding on that a bit more when I'm there. But that, that's the place to start. Go to the website, nationalarchives.gov.uk, and then go help with your research. And there's lots and lots there, research guides, details about how to visitors, opening times, do you need a reader's ticket, help with translating Latin, if, supposing you're so lucky as to get far enough back to need it. Okay. All sorts of good stuff. <laughs> Excellent. Audrey Collins, it's been a real pleasure chatting. 
It's been a lot of fun for me. My cousin did say to me recently, you could talk your way through a brick wall. Never liked her. But <laughs> maybe I can't. <laughs>